0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hey guys, this is Steven, the host of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are available on all podcast platforms as well as YouTube We do appreciate any ratings or reviews and all subscribers to our YouTube channel. That being said, today's show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is our sponsor, who has been great for us. They've been an amazing partner to work with, and they have some great products to make sure that you are feeling your best for the upcoming summer months. If you're feeling a little frisky downstairs, they have the Lawnmower 2.0. They also have anti-chafing boxer briefs, which are a personal favorite of mine, as well as a ball deodorant and some amazing smelling cologne. If you use the code GUILTY at checkout, you get 20% off and free shipping your purchase. Again, that's the code GUILTY at checkout for 20% off. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast, presented by the, the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Excuse me, uh, <laughs> while I gather myself. Uh, my name is Steven. I am your host. Joining me today, as always, are my guys Alex and Tyler. Alex, I assume you've had a busy day watching some tennis, some
2: soccer. How are you doing today, man? Uh, I'm not going to talk about any of the tennis, uh, but the soccer <laughs> was good. Uh, so, yeah, uh, sorry for all of our English listeners. Uh, yeah. That's a tough one to lose on.
1: Yeah, that was a tough one. Heartbreaker for for the fellows across the pond. But it was a good game. I had a lot of fun watching that one. Um, Tyler, how are you doing today, man? And uh, update everyone on your puppy, dude. It was big, some big weekend for you guys.
3: Absolutely. I'm doing well today for two reasons. One, I don't watch soccer because that's a horrendous sport to watch, and I can't believe that my two co-hosts are watching that crap. And I pray to God that my kids don't grow up liking and wanting to play soccer. Also, I'm doing well because... <laughs> Uh, I got a new puppy. She's eight weeks old. Her name is Galadriel, which everybody knows. I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, so Galadriel is her name. Uh, She's wonderful. She's super sweet. She's already potty trained, basically. She knows how to sit and come, and she's just a wonderful dog so far, and I love her very much. Don't laugh so hard, Alex.
1: Yeah, make sure you check out Tyler's Instagram and Twitter to see some uh, puppy pics because I know all of us can use puppy pics in our lives. As for the soccer man, like – I generally do not watch soccer. Like, I can never sit down and watch, like, the MLS. It's just so hard to watch. Yeah, But, like, I'll watch the big games. Like, I watch the Copa America stuff and the Eurofinals and things like that. So I'm not, like, super into soccer, but but I'll watch the big stuff. When the World Cup happens next year, I'll watch that. Uh, I think Alex is a little more into that than I am, but uh, it is what it is.
2: Yeah, speaking of the Copa America, I didn't know why they were filming in, like, 144p. Yeah! Uh, the entire game <laughs> it was, was so just, bad. just, like, the worst camera I've ever seen. And comparing it to the ESP, <laughs> Pro, it's was just like, what the hell is this? I know. We got the 8K camera at the
1: NBA Finals game, zooming in on the fans, and we <laughs> yeah. got the Copa America filmed with, like, a Razer cell phone. It was so bad. Those were great. Um, <laughs> it was a good game, though. So, i uh, got a good episode planned for you guys today. We're going to talk about the hiring of Alex Stern and the Chargers expanding their analytic analytical department. Um, we are going to talk about uh, some of Anthony Lynn's comments concerning Justin Herbert and the direction of the franchise that he shared uh, with Compas on the Beat, which I thought was an interesting interview. Um, and then we'll go, we are going to continue our positional breakdowns, and today we're going to talk about the Chargers linebackers. So, uh, we're going to start, like I said, with the hiring of Alex Stern. Um, Tyler, we'll start with you here after kind of looking into him uh, or, or potentially, you know, just like what are your general thoughts on the hiring of Alex Stern and the expansion of the analytic, analytics department for the Chargers?
3: Uh, business as usual for the Chargers under Staley so far. Here's what we're going to do. And then, yep, we walk the walk, talk the talk, all the same. You know, they want to get into analytics, so they hired Cody Shade. It's like, okay, that's cool. They got a guy in the building, but I was like, let's bring in another guy. Who's you know supposedly well regarded and did well in the analytics bowl or whatever it's called, which is that the new nerd thing. I have no idea. <laughs> but um, you know, I mean, I'm happy for him to have made it, and you know we may have some news about certain things that I can't talk about because I was told not to. But you know there are things we can talk about eventually, uh, mid July. Uh, so, but I'm you know I'm happy this is happening. The only concern I guess that I would have is who's like the main guy in charge. Like, are there too many cooks in the kitchen at one point is Stern kind of more of that guy? Is it Shada? Like, I don't know exactly what their roles are going to be. Hopefully they can all get along, but like, I don't, I don't know how this works. Like, do you have one guy who like sends in the final decision? Do they both talk and then give something to Staley? Like, how does that work?
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I I don't know how that's really going to work. It sort of sounded like how I read it is that Shada's the more on the field kind of guy. I mean, Mm. they they both will kind of be involved in that, but it sounded like he's kind of going to be the one in Staley's ear and that Stern is going to be also still like the general research, you know, leader of the department, so to say, but... Uh, I, I don't know if that's the case. That could be me talking out of my ass based on a paragraph I read. Who knows? <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, but I think, anyway, more analytics is a good thing. Uh, and the fact that we're going in that direction after, you know, a decade of caveman football, uh, regardless of whoever the coach was, mm-hmm. uh, is a good direction uh, nonetheless. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with the hire. Um yeah, like, like yeah, Tyler said, there's a couple things we can't talk about uh, with this hire, but let's just say some people might know some people, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, so maybe we'll have something planned for you. But uh, yeah, in general, I'm enthused about the hire, uh, and it's just kind of a good direction for the Chargers to go in. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a great direction. I'm, I'm curious to see how this one
1: works out too, but you know, my understanding of the analytics department under Anthony Lynn was that it was like one intern who like barely had a say (laughs) in anything (laughs) who like on game days would like occasionally like you know pipe in and be like hey this is what the analytics say like that's basically what i've gathered now they have that same intern i think and then they have Shada and now alex stern so um obviously the expansion you know doubling the analytical department is is great news um you mentioned the the data bowl alex shared this this quote with us so i'll read it here um, where that kind of explains what the Data bolt is, and he it said this. Uh, this is from ESPN Seth Walder. He said this is this is described by event officials site as a quote annual sports analytics contest that challenges members of the analytics community from college students to professionals to contribute to the NFL's evolution of the use of advanced analytics. End quote. And then he goes on to say, According to the page, contestants use a combination of traditional football data. And next-gen stance to analyze current trends and varying player performances while attempting to push the limits of the way football is both played and coached. At the end of the day, the event hopes to engage and empower the football analytics community to drive innovation. So... It's essentially like a conference, from my understanding of yeah. that quote, mm. where all these guys, be it college, you know, interns or actual professionals, they get together and essentially they have, you know, a powwow of the analytical trends and kind of discuss what they think, you know, this team could do in this situation and things like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, every year uh, the kind of NBA and a lot of these other sports leagues revolve around the uh, Sloan Analytics Conference, so. I imagine that the Data Bowl is kind of something similar, although in the form of a competition uh, a little bit, but it ultimately is uh, all about sharing ideas. So I think that that's, you know, a good thing to have Alex Stern. Uh, The fact that he's led something like that and been involved, uh, that's definitely a good thing. And, yeah, I I think when you get more minds, I I wouldn't be surprised to hear Alex Stern or Shada going to the Sloan conference uh, eventually, because that's, you know, the other gathering of all the nerds in front offices. So, uh that's what we should be trending to. That's awesome. Uh this might be a tough question to
3: answer or not depending whether you know it or not. Do the Saints, Packers or Niners have an
1: analytics department that you know of? I actually do not have any idea. Me neither. I, I assume they would. Yeah. Like I assume I mean, the most of the NFL probably has one mm-hmm. depending on how big or small it is. Um <laughs> but I, I would assume at least you know the, these Shanahan style teams, like they they're very heavily predicated on analytics, mm-hmm. at least from my understanding. So it looks like Alex is looking it up, maybe right now. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I
2: was just gonna say, it seems like I don't know the Packers might not have one based on how they played in the championship game. But yeah, fair enough. Yes. Good point. <laughs> and how <laughs> they approach their roster construction for
3: sure. I'm um, all for you know even if the analytics is just going for it on fourth down more. Listen, we talked about Eric Weddle last episode. Without that game call on fourth down, that fake punt against the Chiefs, Chargers would not have made the playoffs in 2013. So I'm not saying you should always go for a a safety sneak on a punt kick, but, you know, I'm not saying advocating for that, but that aggressiveness can pay off.
2: Oh, so yeah, uh, just the one thing I found is that there is actually an Albert Breer article. It is a little bit outdated. That goes into how all 32 NFL teams handle analytics versus, you know, kind of the old school, as he Hmm. says. Um, And then there actually was a survey from 2020 towards the beginning of the season where they talked about which teams uh, were the most analytically advanced as per a GM survey. Uh, And they did have the Ravens, Browns, uh, the... Eagles and the Colts as sort of the uh, incorporating analytics most into decision making, but of course those aren't the only teams that use analytics. Hmm. Yeah,
1: cool. That makes sense. The Colts being up there is is not surprising mm-hmm. at all, um, especially with Frank Reich. So, um, absolutely something to keep an eye on. And, and you know, once we're able to get some details on on who does what, you know, we'll be able to share those with you guys. All right, so let's talk about Anthony Lynn's comments. You know, we're not gonna dive too much into. A lot of the the topics of conversations on that thing because he's no longer on the team. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were some interesting things in terms of philosophy um, and just his general opinion about the Chargers that we wanted to touch on. So um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, or at least I have about my mindset of, you know, concerning rookie quarterbacks. Um, And one of the things that he said is that he, quote, I did not want to expose him, meaning Justin Herbert, too soon. I've seen what that has done to some top picks, especially at the quarterback position. and how sometimes those young men never recover because they're living in a day and age where media is just right there. I mean, social media and things spread, and some of these kids are just not mentally strong enough to overcome a lot of the negative vibes that they get early in their careers. I think that's pretty obvious when you look at that quarterback position. But Justin had to go in and play. We didn't have any choice. Tyrod got his lungs punctured. Justin found out as the ball was literally in the air. I'm grabbing Justin saying, you're the starter. You're the starter. And the way he handled that situation, I tell you what, he couldn't have handled it any better. So, Alex, we'll start with you on this one. What would you make of his comments about wanting to kind of protect Justin Herbert from the outside
2: noise? Right, and I think it was partially the outside noise and also the fact that, you know, Justin Herbert, I put this on Twitter again, but, you know, he was drafted in the middle of a pandemic um, and then, you know, had basically like a three-week training camp it felt like last year uh, and no preseason games, right? Like, that was the situation he was going into. Um, And then you have a quarterback this year like Trey Lance who basically didn't play football almost all of 2020, uh, and you have plenty of quarterbacks who, you know, have these either not gaps in their game per se, but gaps in their preparation and things that they need to work on. So, I mean, my kind of philosophy on that is that I still think, you know, we can revisit, you know, the past. But to me, uh, sitting Herbert was the right decision. Now, we'll never know how the season unfolds uh, if Tyrod doesn't get his lung stabbed. So right. maybe that was the middle ground in between the sit him and uh, not sit him options. But, you know, uh, to me, it just felt like Herbert, if you watched him in college, like, you know, I know we like to do the thing where it's just like, oh, if you didn't like Herbert coming out of college, you're stupid now. Um, but, like, there were a lot of problems with his game. Like, right. I mean, I remember sitting with Steven watching, you know, Oregon film uh, on Zoom before I was even on this show as a member. <laughs> like, I, re- yeah. I remember doing yeah. that. And so... You know, to me, uh, it's not specific to Herbert or any other quarterback, but I think there is something to be gained that, hey, if you're not, say, like a Trevor Lawrence, and by that I mean someone who's started a bunch of games and looks like a finished product, then there can be an advantage taken to just, uh, you know, taking a step back and, you know, waiting for the time. And uh, I remember Fernando came on the show last year and basically said, if Herbert had a preseason, you know, he thinks that he would have started. Uh, out of the gate so maybe that would have happened maybe it wouldn't have but to me I I didn't think there was really anything wrong with what Anthony Lynn said there
3: it's possible if he had a preseason Anthony Lynn would still have a job I mean I think if he went out and had like okay against the Carolina Panthers his first like actual true start if you will and some sort of game tape on him he had one of the worst EPAs of the team you know according to Arjun and and what he put out so I'm not saying that Herbert would have struggled against the backups and the third stringers or whatever or second stringers in the preseason, but you know, if he, did, if he looked okay. Let's say he played like he did against the Panthers in the preseason. Would you have started him week one over Tyrod Taylor? And if, especially if Tyrod Taylor had a decent preseason? Probably not. Anthony might have still had a job. As far as, you know, putting him in, you know, obviously they didn't have a preseason. So, you know, should they have put him in sooner? No. Like, I don't think you, you should have. There's no way you could have known what you knew until you knew it. And, you know, as far as, like, coaching for me goes – like, when we do gymnastics, we teach them the basic, you know, routines or whatever. But we build the bonuses and the dangerous skills over the course of a year. We don't get them ready just for the first meet of the season, for Judges' Cup. We prepare them all the way, you know, months and months down the line for the dangerous and difficult skills at state and regionals and nationals and whatnot. So I kind of understand that, like, you know, you got to wait. Like, you got to get wait till this guy is ready. And frankly, when Herbert hit the field, he didn't look ready. It took him three games to finally be like, oh, there it is. But then again, you know, based on how he was in college and based on everything we knew at the time, like, I think it was the right decision. And he didn't look completely prepared until he got to his third game. So I I still don't disagree with Lynn here. And everyone's like, oh, you know, he's so stupid for not starting him sooner. But I, I just don't see how you could have. But then again, what would that preseason have looked like? What did we all miss by not attending training camp? What did we all miss by not having a preseason? Because we just went from everything he was in like December and January to yeah. st- all of a sudden starting week two. And we didn't really have much to go off of other than, like you said, Fernando saying, hey, he looks pretty good. But otherwise, like I feel like he was kind of undercovered and we didn't know much about him. Like, truly, I feel like a, the yeah. sixth pick in the draft, was a quarterback was undercovered, in yeah. my opinion, by the media. I knew more about Bobby Hawley than I did Justin Herbert, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, so, you know, in hindsight... I would have just, you know, I would have sat Herbert. And that's based on him and the pandemic. Some quarterbacks, sure, like Joe Burrow, I probably would have started week one. Justin Herbert, I probably would have waited. The whole season, I'm not quite sure. But he would have had to show me he's ready in practice. And I don't know.
1: Was he ever? I'm not sure. You know, from the media standpoint, I... I always think it's interesting, like, looking back at hard knocks and, like, Mm. the only real Herbert coverage we got was was him throwing into the Nets (laughs) that one one time. (laughs) And I'm like, if you look at other quarterbacks that are on hard knocks as a rookie, like, he should have been getting way more coverage on hard knocks than he did, and especially by the media. Mm -hmm. In general, it's my belief that unless you have, like, an established, really good veteran quarterback, that rookie quarterbacks should play Mm -hmm. from the start. You know, Anthony Lynn has, has talked about several times that he wanted to kind of replicate the Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes thing. And it's like, well, people forget that Alex Smith was a really, really freaking good quarterback for Kansas City. Totally, Like he led the most efficient offense in the league for three or four years. They were in the playoffs, just, you know, had some whiffs in the playoffs, but they were a contender with Alex Smith and Tyrod Taylor is not in that that same kind of category. You know, the same kind of conversations are being had right now in Chicago with Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. And it's like, Andy Dalton is not Alex Smith. Like, Andy Dalton was a lousy, lousy quarterback last year. And so I think in general, the rookie quarterbacks, if you take them in the first round, should start from day one. Obviously, you know, someone like Trey Lance, you know, that's a little more dicey. Justin Herbert last year without the preseason and things like that. It's a little more dicey. But my issue with Lynn's comments here is that our understanding was that they were going to have a competition. That Tyrod was going to have to earn his spot as a starter, and Justin was going to be able to have a chance. And it doesn't feel like that actually happened. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't feel like Justin Herbert got a chance to prove it. Like, even in, you know, a not-having-preseason world, it didn't feel like Herbert got a chance to actually be in a competition. And, you know, that's kind of backed up recently by Keenan Allen saying that, you know, he hadn't even, he had barely caught passes from Justin Herbert until that first game. So that's kind of my issue here with, with what Lynn is saying is that I understand, you know, pandemic and you want to be able to have him be prepared, but it just doesn't really feel like he, Lynn really gave Herbert yeah. a chance to earn it. Like even in limited practice reps and even in a limited training camp, it just, it, it, I don't know. I just feel like it was Tyrod's job as soon as the first preseason game was canceled.
2: Yeah, and I I do think Lynn kind of has a point about the media because I think the media now has gotten quicker in terms of, like, turning on people, uh, particularly quarterbacks. Uh, I saw this in the fall with Carson Wentz uh, because, to, to me, you know, and Carson Wentz had a historically bad year, but if Carson Wentz was playing 15 years ago, I honestly don't think that he would be out of Philadelphia right now because I think the media kind of covered things differently and there wasn't as much pressure building up on social media. Um, And I think that's also important, just remembering that all these guys are young. Uh, Also, from my city, I know Ben Simmons' brain is fried from five years of social media. Um, So, you know, I think that when you talk about somebody like Herbert or somebody like Burroughs, somebody like Tua, like that hears that outside noise... Uh, I yeah. do think that is kind of a big thing, and you're starting to see that with Tua now. Like, we imagine telling someone 15 years ago that you would draft a quarterback in the first round, and then there would be, like, serious discussion about, should we trade him? Like, <laughs> we, we were yeah. hearing that stuff about Tua, and, like, to me, that just wouldn't have happened because it felt like people had time to develop, um, and that's just kind of... It is a thing now. Like, we do give quarterbacks those periods, but it feels like it happens... For for a less and less amount of time, um, and so that's kind of my thing with how the media works and how social media works now, just kind of dogpiling on some of these guys, and a lot of them are really. Young. Well, to your point about
1: Tua, like it wasn't just trade him. Like a lot of people were saying that the Dolphins should have re-signed Fitzpatrick to start over Tua, and it's like, okay, now like, what are we doing here? So I I totally agree there. You know, it, it's definitely you know an instant gratification world and. To your point also everybody in the media hates Carson Wentz except for Dan Orlovsky, who thinks he's like <laughs> to win an MVP this year. <laughs> so, good times there. Um, the next the other thing that Anthony Lynn here, unless uh Tyler, did you have anything else about this?
3: I just want to do I can't remember the situation exactly, so I was just trying to look it up. But, how do you think the media would have responded if they took Herbert and sat him for two years and he didn't start until his third year, like Philip Rivers? And I'm curious what the media. Mm-hmm was like then because listen like you know it's not like rivers was taken you know 64th in the draft so yeah. i'm really curious what the media would have been like or what they were like with Rivers sitting granted there's a very very different option in front of rivers but obviously right. you, know, you take a guy like, what a funky situation that was
1: well and it was like everybody talks about like oh the chargers made a mistake like letting drew breeze grow but it's like that was a really tough situation to be in. And, you know, his arm was also, like, supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. Like, multiple NFL franchises said that he's never going to be the, able to throw a football again. Yeah. So, um, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if you're winning, then, you know, that kind of solves everything and keeps issues on a hush-hush. But um, the other thing that I thought was interesting that Anthony Lynn said uh, with Compos on the B, he said, quote, I've had time to reflect on my four years in L.A., and things that I would do differently if I had to do it all over again, and things that we did well. We did some things well. I felt like the organization was in better shape when we left than when we got it. So that's an interesting one because, you know, the Chargers in 2017 versus Chargers in 2021. Do you think Lynn is right here? Do you think the Chargers are in a better spot now in terms of
2: roster construction, in terms of whatever, versus in 2017? I think he's right i mean i think you talk about the whole franchise uh remember that nobody wanted to take that job uh yeah. from going from san diego to la the roster not being quite what it was what it is now like yeah the reason everybody wanted the Chargers' job this year is to work with justin herbert you know being in la helped but like the fact that they have all these weapons on offense and defense um, you know while we question the depth of the roster like that's why every single coach yeah. kind of wanted this job whether it was Brandon Staley whether it was Brian Dable whoever it was uh, was coming for it and that just wasn't the case in 2017 partially because uh, of the move but that was also a right. bit like of an older Chargers team uh, I mean you know you had yeah. Philip Rivers there you had Gates there um is that Malcolm Floyd's last year in 2016 I assume or I don't remember I yeah think Floyd so. didn't play in LA Floyd was uh, yeah Florida Floyd, was Floyd just played only. in San Diego but yeah I mean Wed- Weddle left the team obviously um so I think that you know that was just kind of an older team and that it kind of reached its point like they had some chances to make the playoffs and, and just didn't so I think you know putting with Herbert and all these weapons like the chargers are to me four years ago, they're in a much better position now. Um, and you know, is that because of Lynn or is it because of Herbert? Um, I think it's much more because of Herbert in terms of right. positioning <laughs> for the future. But I do think, you know, everything you do here about Lynn is that the players, the players never quit on him. Right. Like, yeah. so the, the fact that that never happened uh, I think is a good thing for the future too, uh, as far as this coaching staff is going forward, right? A lot of these guys who have been on the team four or five years, like their only coach has been Lynn. And from what we know, you know, not a great coach, but he was a good leader. Um, yeah. So I do think, to me, if you're comparing it to four years ago, they are in a better spot. Oh, man. How do I look at this? Are they
3: better than they were when he started? Okay. So if I'm looking at the 2016 roster, and I am looking at it, like she's the receiving core. Allowed? I'm not talking like 2021. All those additions don't count. Although I do feel bad that I feel like Lynn and so Let's Go had the plan to Tyrod for a year, then Let's Go Herbert, and then let's all make these moves in 2021. And I think Linn never really got a chance to, you know, see those moves carried out. I I don't know how much he would invest in the offensive line, but okay, you know, is is Dontrell Inman, Tyrod Williams, and Travis Benjamin and Keenan Allen a worse or better quadruple threat than the, the, what they had last season? And Tyrell Williams had you know a thousand yards that year. It was that year, you know. And then they drafted in twenty sixteen. Like I'm not saying that Lynn draft you know rode the coattails of these guys, but in twenty sixteen they drafted Bosa, they drafted Henry, they signed Casey Hayward, you know. They made a lot of really good moves, and I believe they also, I know oh, they didn't. They didn't have uh, Russell Okung then, but um, I don't know. Are they better because of Lynn? I don't know. Like to me, just the. They reached a higher peak. There's no, unquestionably, I think, at their peak, their team, their best team, was better than any Mike McCoy team, I think, hands right. down, for sure. But by the time that they left, were they in any better hands? Like, it just seems kind of like a wash to me. Like, you have your quarterback, you had your quarterback, now you have your quarterback. You drafted an edge rusher, you still got that edge rusher. And, I don't know, to me, it doesn't really seem all that different. Like, what was what was Lynn's mark that you can say that he, you know, other than the peak, of course, which is really good but we're talking about beginning and end. And is the end point a whole lot different than the beginning? Not really. They didn't really establish anything different. They were still injuries. There was no sports science. There was no analytics, you know, in general, I'm pretty sure the wins losses overall wasn't a whole lot different than what Mike McCoy had. You know, they had a good first two years and dropped and were losing the last two years. Same thing McCoy did. Right. So like, I don't know how much of a difference there was to me, to be completely honest. And I think, part of his early success they had was because of Rivers and then some of the good moves they made in 2016.
1: Yeah, in terms of, like, the overall roster, like, like Tyler saying, I do think, it, you know, it's pretty similar. And there was a lot of carryover, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, I get that side of things. I will say the one thing that I'll always give credit to Anthony Lynn for is, is the, the culture and the leadership that he established. Because sure. I, I think we all remember Mike McCoy press conferences. Yeah. Uh... Like, Anthony Lynn's this year were, were pretty bad, but for a different reason, right? <laughs> but Mike McCoy was just like, why is this person a head coach? Like, it was hmm. just mind-blowing how unprepared and just, like, there was no energy. There was no, yeah. like, positivity coming from him. And so it was just really, like, culture-wise, it was hard to watch the Chargers with, under Mike McCoy. And, you know, Alex mentioned Eric Weddle, like, That's that's kind of like the shining example, but that's what the culture was. It was a lot of, Mm. there was a lot of toxic vibes coming from the franchise. So the one thing I will say about Anthony Lynn then is that you know the culture that he established was very very positive. There was great leadership there, and you know if Mike McCoy were leading the team last year, man, I I think it would have been like two and fourteen. Like it would have been so hard to watch Mm -hmm. that team go into the season every single year or every single game. So. I will give Anthony Lynn credit there, but like we said from the beginning, this team needed a severe like analytics and X's and O upgrade from the Anthony Lynn era, so there, there's definitely positives and negatives to what Anthony Lynn was able to do as the Chargers head coach, mm-hmm. but I, the Chargers are in a better direction, but almost because they fired him.
2: <laughs> well... Yeah, and I'm not saying that, you know, they're in a better spot four years ago because of Anthony Lynn. I, I'm right. not necessarily True. claiming that, but if you're just straight up asking me, you know, almost in a kind of, like, presidential... In a right, in a, in a vacuum, of presidential, like, approval poll, like, yeah, I mean, on a technical level, they are in a better place than they were four years ago. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, not so much on the field, but culture-wise, I do think he did do uh, a good job in terms of Absolutely. turning around where the franchise was uh, and where it had to go because uh, truly I don't believe, you know, y- we can debate whether the Los Angeles move has been successful because in some ways it has, and in some ways it hasn't been, but I think it would have been a lot rockier had it not been for Anthony Lynn. And instead we had Matt Patricia. I don't know. <laughs> like, oh, I think gosh. that could have been a lot worse. Uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, to, to me, you know, Lynn, they, you know, he deserved to be moved on from, uh, and I think they made the right decision moving on from him. But I do also think he deserves some credit for, you know, some positioning. Would yeah, tw- absolutely.
1: I-
3: go ahead, Tyler. Would the 2017 Chargers beat the 2020 Chargers? I- yeah, I yeah. can go down the list. I actually think they would.
2: I think they would too. I'd have to look uh, more in depth at the roster. I honestly. I mean, because they it.
1: they won like nine of their last. It was kind of like yeah. the last season we had, where they yeah. started zero and four and they finished nine and seven. That was a so, uh, that was Lin's first year, mm-hmm. right? right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I mean, yeah. without the Young way Ku mess, like that team, you know, I, I hate the should have would have could have mentality, but you know, that team really was, you know, a kick here, a kick there, away from being, you know, an eleven win team. So. Um, I, I think the 27 team, it's different, obviously, because last year's team was so, so young after all the injuries and things like that, mm-hmm. and, you know, it is what it is. But I speaking,
2: guess, spe- I was just want to say, speaking of shoulda, woulda, coulda, can we mention Derek Carr real quick, uh, who said that they were three or four wins away from being a 12-win team I know. after <laughs> coming one play away from losing to the Jets? Like, <laughs> come on, dude. Yeah. I just had to get that out there. Well... <laughs>
1: Because I, I tweeted about this, and I, and I do, like, I hate that mentality after the season of, like, well, we, we were a bounce here and a bounce there away from being a playoff team. And it's like, yeah, but you were also a bounce here and a bounce there from being, like, a three-win team. <laughs> so, a lot of people have said that about the Chargers last year who, like, defended Anthony Lynn. Or, well, you know, if this happens, they could have won here and here. And it's like, yeah, but... You know, if this happens, you know, if Marcus Mariota doesn't throw the ball right into Isaac Rochelle's hands, (laughs) they lose that game. So, you know, it is like it goes both ways. And I think not enough people recognize that the negative possibility there is Mm -hmm. also true because, you know, like Alex mentioned, the Raiders and the Jets game, And, you know, the NFL, it's really about winning single single score games like that's what separates the great teams from the bad teams. And the bad teams are always like, whoa, we were, we were so close to being a playoff team. It's like, but you weren't. Close doesn't count.
3: Thank you to my yeah. gymnastics coach for driving the anxiety into my brain that I always had to win or it <laughs> didn't
1: matter. Pre-Ricky Bobby. Pre-Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, we're going to move on now to our linebacker conversation. I think there's obviously a lot of you know positivity coming for, coming about this group, and we've talked about them a little bit. Um, obviously it's going to be different than what Brandon Staley had last year when he didn't really have any good linebackers. So I just did a film breakdown on the bears linebackers. That's Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith and kind of what we can expect in terms of X's and O's, their pass coverage responsibilities and things like that. So that's up on our YouTube channel. Make sure and check that out. Um, Tyler, what's your biggest question mark or concern about this linebacker group? and you know what maybe defines their season
3: well, by golly what position group have we not started with where we don't say oh god I hope they're staying healthy the entire year I'm sure we can make the case for every True. single one so That's aside right. from that and aside from Tranquil who I think you are about to do a breakdown on so I'll kind of leave that to you my yeah. question is not that this will define their season or anything but I want to see what Kaiser White does as the other pass rusher Saley could bring off the edge and I was looking back at some of your old tweets and breakdowns about Kaiser White and he looked good coming off the edge and you know, last mm-hmm. year among linebackers was at least 10 snaps pass rush snaps. Amazingly, Denzel Perryman and Kaiser White were both in the top 8 in pass rush productivity. <laughs> now, which classic, I mean, of course, right? And again, yeah. a reason I missed Denzel Perryman, but you know, White only on 17 pass rush snaps, he still had four pressures, two hits and a sack, you know, and so the team kind of needs that low snap but high efficiency sort of spark that Perryman was, and I'd love to see Kaiser White possibly take that role like I know it's different obviously he's not going like I don't think Kaiser White's playing inside linebacker anytime soon as long as the other two are on the field and I guess that was the same for Perryman but you know some sort of rotation here pass rush there I'd love to see what he can do because you know Derwin James I'm not saying he took away from Kaiser White's performance but you know when when both started as rookies Kaiser White had a really good game against the Chiefs and he had a really good yeah. game against the Bills and he was on his way and then he got hurt And he's just never quite found it since. So, yes, I guess I am circling back to health. Can he stay healthy? And let's see him as a pass rusher because, you know, I think that would be certainly a a great weapon for Staley to use.
2: Yeah, for me, uh, obviously, we talk about injuries and depth all the time Uh, for every breakdown, it feels like, (laughs) just because that's what this team is. But for me, my biggest question is usage. uh, And that's what I kind of asked Robert Mays. Uh, about Mm. when we had that conversation with him of the linebackers um, just because they didn't really use their linebackers much in the Rams and you know the the question is is that about talent is that about personnel or is that kind of about the scheme as well Um, so you know for me, I kind of think the answer is a little bit in the middle there, but I do think that Brandon Staley does prioritize the first and third levels of the defense. Um, I mean, he he sure talked about it to depth in terms of, you know, meeting with uh, the, the first and, and third levels quite a bit, uh, his secondary and his defensive line, so... Uh, Yeah, I'll just be curious to see, you know, is he going to use them in a way that is, you know, putting them in position to make plays, or do they sort of play uh, to the flow of the defense, right? Meaning they sort of go where everyone else is going, or, you know, are they going to be put in specific spots? And I think Kenneth Murray obviously can be used as a pass uh, pass rusher. We've seen that before uh, in the Patriots game last year. Like, they're going to use him. Um, Denzel Perriman that's somebody that I haven't thought about in a while just because he's been off the team and he's in Carolina, but it's like kind of someone I would, yeah, it's kind of someone I wish was still on this team uh, a little bit, just in terms of, uh, we talked about their weaknesses in the run game and like how bad they were whenever Denzel Perriman or Justin Jones didn't play. Uh, so, you know, Denzel Perriman is somebody that I think you can make a real case for them, kind of missing him. But again, he would have been a depth player and, and there were sort of some injury concerns. So, you know, I kind of understand it. But I, I do think, yeah, depth is, is definitely a question mark just because, you know, they really have probably four guys that I trust to play some snaps, and then everybody else is kind of like, well, they'll chip in when they do, but I'm not sure how this is going to go. So, yeah, for, for me, the biggest question is usage and how that's going to go, and go watch Steven's video. I haven't uh, got a chance to watch it yet, but I will. Uh, I made the thumbnail for it, so <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will get a chance to watch it. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, for me, it's usage and the depth.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you pointed out the usage because it is, it is going to be super interesting, and we've talked about this because, you know, Brandon Staley, like, he recognized the weakness on the roster, and he pivoted to a strength of the roster on the Rams. And so Vic Fangio did not do that. Vic Fangio is very much a traditionalist. Like, I need my two linebackers on the field at all times, it seemed like. Hmm. And it was, you know, it was really interesting because Danny Trevathan is awful, like, lousy in pass coverage. And, you know, the the uh, inside linebackers for this specific scheme, like, they're not asked to cover receivers all that much. Like, they had to you know, under Gus Bradley's scheme, like we're not going to see drew tranquil motion out and follow Tyree kill into the slot and cover him. Like I watched happen (laughs) recently, which was so frustrating. Um, but you know, they do have to cover, right. It's just mostly, they cover the tight ends, the running backs, the flats, you know, the short to intermediate range over the middle, but even a team that was as bad as the Cardinals in 2018, like they were able to expose Danny Trevathan and his, you know, lack of ability to be efficient in in coverage because, you know, if you turn on that game from two thousand eighteen, David Johnson had a field day going oh, against David against Danny Trevathan. So, it's just going to be interesting to see like how that balances out because Kenneth Murray and Drew Tranquil are absolutely better than anything that Staley had last year. But I think if you hear him talk, he recognizes that the best the the best way to stop opposing offenses is to limit the explosive passing game or passing plays. And it's really hard to do that in the NFL today with having two inside linebackers on the field at all times. So, you know, how much are these players on playing on the field? Because Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith, they logged 2000 combined snaps for the bears in 2018. So I don't think we're going to see that high of usage for those two players. But I don't necessarily think that it's going to be as low as what Staley had with the Rams last year either.
2: Right. Um, I I wanted to get in here and ask another question because the coaching staff seems to have been fascinated by uh, Bumiga, and that was someone up until we did that roster breakdown episode. I didn't seriously consider making the team at all. Um, you know, until we heard those kind of comments uh, from you know Ronaldo Hill and Brandon Staley and the rest of the. Um, defensive staff. So I sort of wonder, you know, I, we kind of did the roster predictions episode already, but in terms of Neiman and Ogbong Bamiga as kind of the new additions, how playable are they in, in year one is also a question for me. God, I hope, okay, no, no I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to be that PFF guy who says
3: this. So you know what? I don't think that Ogbong Bamiga will be quite as ready early on and I don't know how much he'll be asked to do outside of special teams. Right. But I'm very, very interested in Nick Neiman, who is a guy that I, I mean, Kaiser White's in a contract year. I'm not saying that the exact same kind of guys. I'm not really sure White, where White fits in this defense. Neiman is going to be your inside linebacker and, and special teams guy. I think Neiman's going to have a good year. I don't know. I just this gut feeling about him. I think it's because it was slightly a running joke. Also, because I picked him in our <laughs> mock draft and he ended up making the team. Uh, so maybe I like him <laughs> a little bit more, but I have a good feeling about him. So I think he can contribute early yeah. on, and he's going to because he can cover. I don't think Ogbombe can be, it's, dang, I'm the first one to mess it up. I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think Ogbombe can cover as well as Neiman, so I do think Neiman's going to have a bigger impact right. early on.
2: Well, I mean, Neiman kind of has to too. I mean, he, he's the fourth linebacker really on the depth chart right now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's kind of going to have to play uh, at, at any rate.
1: Yeah, I I think he'll play every, you know, a little bit here and there, you know, depending on on who's healthy or not. But I I think, you know, outside of everything that we've already talked about, I I think one question that I have is really what's the ceiling for the Drew Twinkle and Kenneth Murray combination? Because, and, and, you know, how does that play out between their ceiling and their floor? Because I think everybody's really excited about the pairing, and rightfully so. You know, I I think there's a lot of things – athletically that Kenneth Murray is going to be able to do and bring a lot of, you know, electric plays to this team and, and potentially make that leap. Um, but, you know, Drew Trankle has had a lot of injuries over the last few years. You know, he had the, the ankle last year. He tore his ACL in college. So I, I think, you know, two of the best things that Tranquil does are his ability as a cover linebacker And his ability in space, like he is an insane tackler in space and he, he, he never misses. So I I think they balance out each other well, but what's the ceiling for these two? Like, do either of these have the ability or the, you know, potential to be, you know, a Pro Bowl player this year, or they, is the best case scenario for these two players just that they end up being above average? And is that good enough? Like, that's kind of where my head's at with these two players. That's a good question. Uh, let me ask you then: What would you grade the tandem of
3: Trevathan and uh, Roquan Smith in that year? I don't know if that was a good year for them in general, or.
1: Well, Roquan, that was his rookie year. Yeah, and so he definitely had some growing pains, but he's so similar to Kenneth Murray, man. Okay. Like the ability to go sideline to sideline, make plays as a pass rusher. The two of them are very, very similar. Mm. Um, Danny Trevathan, his his ability is very similar to like Denzel Perryman. Like he's okay. gonna come up and he'll smack your pulling guard. He'll smack the center. Like he'll make his physical presence known. Mm-hmm. But like I said, total liability in pass coverage. <laughs> so, but I mean, he was he was so so good against the run, mm-hmm. and I think that's like my biggest concern with these two players is yeah. their ability against the run because. You know, that's what that's where they're going to miss Denzel Perryman, to be honest with you, because like we saw against Mikai Becton, Denzel Perryman is not afraid to come up and just smack an an offensive lineman, even if he's not going to make the tackle. Like, he's going to make somebody, you know, feel his presence. And I don't, like, Kenneth Murray is physical, but it's a different kind of physical. Like, I I don't think either of these players Mm -hmm. are the kind of players to come up and, you know, take on a blocker. Smack that blocker and, you know, let someone else make the play. Like, I think both of these players, they're more like shifty shedding blocks, if that makes sense. They're not necessarily, you know, the old school, like, I'm just going to take someone head on and I'm going to win this collision like Denzel Perryman was.
2: Yeah, and I mean, Denzel Perriman wasn't afraid to get in Tom Brady's face and, you know, be at risk for drawing a 15-yard penalty because that's yeah. all it takes when you're around him. Uh, so, yeah, he he wasn't afraid of the contact, and I think that that's going to be something to watch. You know, last year when it came to Drew Tranquil, I I was kind of in on the breakout player hype. I mean, you just saw him do everything Pretty well, whether it was uh, playing special teams initially, mm-hmm. then you know uh, being a really good tackler, like Steven mentioned, it just kind of felt like you know last year was gonna be the year until it wasn't, uh, unfortunately with the ankle injury and right. you know uh, obviously the Chargers had a ton of injuries last year. Derwin James is probably the one where we go, oh you know what would his season have been if he played you know and and that kind of stuff. But second on that list might be Drew Tranquil for me. Just because it's like okay, you know, this was a guy who came off of, had a really solid foundation, uh, and then was going to be able to you know play in this defense, and it was still the Bradley system, and maybe right. there would have been a couple plays where he had to go follow Tyreek Hill deep, um, <laughs> again, but um, you know I, I do think that he, he was sort of primed for that, so I, I am excited to see both him and Kenneth Murray s- sort of, in respectively, their year twos uh and, and kind of what they do it's tough this is such a, an accident waiting to happen with the whole
3: damn team <laughs> but it sucks because okay if you don't have your linebackers let's say saley just you know if tranquil goes down white goes down and you no longer have you know some linebackers so you rotate rotate in some more dbs but then they set themselves up to not have any dbs to rotate in so it just seems like a train wreck waiting to happen so i, I, I hope that sports science team is ready to go because i think it's
1: just an accident waiting to happen between you know those two groups yeah, it is. <laughs> like, we've been talking about injuries and death. Of like, oh, can this? Can they withstand a lin Joseph injury? It's like, well, Jeez. this is the whole roster at this point. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it is the whole roster, other than quarterback.
1: Yeah. Ugh. But, you know, I'm just kind of looking at the PFF grades and, and stats for linebackers right now. And I don't know. Like, it, it's a very top-heavy position, like, in terms mm. of the whole league. Like, in terms of duos... Like, outside of Levante David and Devin White, there aren't, like, any great duos. Like, I, I guess you could maybe make an argument for um, the Saints. You know, they have um, DeMario Davis, and I forget his, his other name. The, uh, I'm totally blanking yeah, right now. Blanking. But, but, you know, you've got, you know, none of these duos are, like, that great. I mm-hmm. mean, you look at, like, what Denver has right now. Like they've got Josie Jewell and Alexander Johnson. Two solid players, but I think, you know, the Chargers this specific duo can be better than solid if they stay healthy. So I don't know, it's just curious to look at like, well, how good this can how good can this duo be? And like how involved are they going to be, like Alex was talking about? Hmm. A lot of questions. Please get the preseason here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to that point, we're only a few weeks away. So, you know, I'm—I I wrote an article for LAFB about the Saints' passing attack and, and what to look for there. So, I, I just can't wait to like see this all come together because, like, I—I I think like I'm no expert, obviously, but you know, I, I think I have a, a solid baseline understanding of what this team is going to look like in terms of scheme. Mm-hmm. But I just need to see it, man. Like. that little clip of of Brandon Slaley talking about the, you know, the specific packages or whatever that they have planned for Kenneth Murray. Like, it just gets me so excited because, you know, he was one of the players, there were so many, but Kenneth Murray was one of the players where I just, he wasn't being used the right way and he wasn't, Mm. you know, they were not planning to his specific skill set. So the fact that Brandon Slaley is planning for that specific skill set, you know, just gets me really fired up to talk about Kenneth Murray because I thought he had a, you know he had a, an up and down rookie season, but the tail end, the last half of the season, was so so good for Kenneth Murray, and I'm gonna do a breakdown for him as well. But uh, just really excited to see this duo and the whole thing, you know, come together. Can't wait to watch the breakdown. Yeah. Can't wait to watch it. <laughs> All right, guys. Any other thoughts here before we uh, wrap up today's show?
2: Uh, not many. I just wanted to say that because preseason is coming up, we are. Uh, considering doing uh, some preseason live pods uh, at the uh, probably that San Francisco week because I know Tyler is going to that uh, Rams game and we're giving away a ticket for that but uh, that second Niners week and maybe the Seattle week uh, we will be doing a preseason live pod, so that will be up. Uh, I will stay up until 10 or 11 o'clock <laughs> on the East Coast, probably at midnight uh, when that preseason game ends, but uh, yeah, just stay tuned for that. I think one of the preseason games is like Saturday at like
1: 2.30 Pacific time. <laughs> like The times are super weird because of yeah. this preseason, Yeah. Uh, but we'll definitely keep you guys posted when that happens.
3: Yeah, no, I can't wait to do all of that and finally see everybody that you know, a lot of people have said, Hey, let's go have a beer or something. So, uh, can't wait.
1: Yeah. So other exciting news, kind of, you know, Tyler and I, we've had a a relationship for like four years and we've never met, uh, next week we're going to be able to meet
2: hopefully. Oh yeah. Steven's my fiance. (laughs) (laughs) A friendship,
1: not a relationship. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Working relationship. Four year
2: anniversary. You (laughs) 2 It's been nice
1: so you know once Alex finishes med school up we'll be able to hopefully meet the three of us you know once he's back in the states but um all right guys that's gonna do it for us today as always make sure and leave us a rating or review comment let us know what you think about you know the ceiling of Kenneth Murray and Drew Twinkle or you know what Anthony Lynn said we're always open to uh discussing those things Alex does a great job responding to comments on YouTube so uh, make sure and let us know and we'll see you next time